Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Everybody, happy Friday and welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Yeah. We're back at it today uh, just as we head into the weekend and we're excited to be talking about all the things that happened in the world of geek this week. We got some trailers to discuss, we got some Big stories to talk about in the world of Disney and also some fun uh, conversations about a certain DC superhero that's a favorite of one of ours here on the uh, Geek Buddies. So we got a lot to dive into for sure and maybe even a announcement coming of something new from the Geek Buddies. So stay tuned. Uh, but let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work. Actually, if you go to YouTube right now and look at the last two episodes of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City Season 3, the last two are actually mine. And the way that they group those episodes is sometimes they'll do last week's and this week's. So if you click on the most recent one, you will see eight full minutes of pure McClung Barry action. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, McClung Barry action. Um, was it all allowed to stand as is, Shannon, or did you have to take some terrible notes and try to make them work? Tell the truth. I've never gotten one terrible note on this production in my <laughs> life. Good. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. That's awesome. Correct. <laughs> all right. You are correct, sir. All right. So uh, the, the way the show works here, for those of you who are new and for those of you who are not new, thanks for sticking around with us. We appreciate it madly. But for those who are new, each of us brings up a Geek News item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. We take a couple of breaks, and then we jump into our main topic, which will be breaking down that CNBC article, that extensive article exploring the drama that went on between Bob Iger and Bob Chapek during those three years when Iger was supposedly handing over control of Disney to Bob Chapek. A lot to talk about in that one, for sure. So stay tuned for that. Um, all right, I think, Shannon, you start us off, brother. Where are we, where are we going? We're going with trailers, trailers, trailers. Ooh. This is uh, yeah, three different trailers, three different streaming series. Our first one uh, is for the full trailer for Gen V. This is from the world of the boys. Um, as we're waiting for that next season of the boys to get finished, which will not be completed until after the uh, writers and actors strike has concluded. Um, so uh, before we get to that, we'll get to see 
uh, the world of Gen V. So this is essentially uh, the college, the special school that prospective superheroes go to. And this first generation are also, according to the log line here, the first group of uh, students who know that their powers come from the V compound. So, you know, if you're a fan of the boys, if you're a fan of that uh, uh, over the top, over the top bloody violence, um, also uh, a fan of that sort of, you know, scathing humor, uh, it looks like this is going to be up your alley at this past Comic-Con um, where there was sort of a reduction in the amount of big brands that we saw. Mm. Gen V was one that was everywhere. It was in uh, it was in elevators. It was on wraparounds of public transportation. And based off this trailer, we get some characters who cross over from the boys. This one looks pretty good. But gentlemen, I will throw it over to you. Actually, Mikey, why don't we start with you? What did you think of our uh, final look of Gen V? Well, I'm a big fan of the boys, so I'm a big fan of this. I think the boys is one of those great uh, properties that comes along where I think the television adaptation is actually at this point better than the source material. I think The Boys was a really, really fun comic, but I think the things that they've done to expand the, the world, uh, deepen some of the characters, build things out, I enjoy the series more than I enjoyed the comic. And so spinning this off into uh, another avenue of this universe is great. I think what's cool about The Boys is creating a brand new super universe in this day and age is hard. I mean, Marvel and DC have yeah. pretty much cornered the market on as many possible characters with as many possible powers in 60 years or so as you can think of. And, you know, Kirkman did a really great job building out Invincible. Yeah. And now you've got the boys. And the fact that they've created this superhero universe that is as fun as it is, as interesting as it is, as popular as it is, that actually really has something to say, like, that's very, very impressive. And I think watching this trailer made me realize what a good job they've done. Because once you kind of have this core concept of superhero as celebrity and this idea of Compound V kind of being behind all of it, you start to spin this off into, oh, well, this is the school where the upcoming heroes train. There's more conspiracies happening. They know about this stuff. Like, it just takes a small idea and shows you how the domino effect of that can create more great stories, more great characters. So I'm a thousand percent on board. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, the boys can keep spinning things off for a while until they uh, <laughs> lose their steam. And I'm, I'm here for it. I love, I love bloody shit. And apparently I love seeing small people get in uh, – really fucked up situations because we saw it last season in the boys and we saw a whole lot of it in this trailer and it's like the most fucked up version of honey i shrunk the kids ever and i'm here for it yeah. small heroes and small orifices johnny what did you think <laughs> of this last trailer for gen v oh speaking of my 20s no uh listen i i had a great time with this one this one listen i was nervous about this one because guys remember in the, in the original book it starts out or there are some scenes from the college version of the boys, and it is brutal. And I mean, it is offensive brutal for 2023. There's a lot of, like, passing women around. These guys are having sex in multiple hotel rooms with multiple uh, girls that they've captured or taken because they're using their superpowers. So there's some really brutal shit that goes on in the boys. If you read the comic, they have absolutely cleaned it up to a degree to make it consumable for audiences nowadays because it is a pretty hardcore comic. So when you look at how they adapted this, I was really impressed with what they did here. They did two things at once. They let you who are fans of the boys, which is a much more adult approach to things. 
there's enough here for you to enjoy if you like that vibe. But they also appeal to the younger generation by having them connect to these young kids going to college or a, essentially the, the worst version of Monsters University going there and like <laughs> learning how to use this stuff, right? And what it brings out in them, right? Just like we all do when we go to college, we get exposed to all this stuff. We find powers in certain ways in our abilities. And sometimes we don't find those powers and we feel lesser than. So how do we react to that? So there's a lot of universal stuff that I got from the trailer that I thought was really smart. And then you throw in the powers and you throw in all the stuff. And then you throw in the uh, possibility that there's corruption going on. There's an evilness going on with the professors. So certainly that's also an aspect of college. Sometimes you can feel like professors or the university or the administration is actually screwing the students over for their own benefits or using them. That's certainly a big deal when you talk about NCAA athletes, how universities use their powers, their talents to, to enrich themselves. And only just over the last year or two have athletes been allowed to make money outside of the university. So there's a lot of universal stuff here that I enjoyed, plus the fun aspects of the boys from the series that are here. And for God's sakes, there's a puppet sequence in this. What the fuck does that mean? So there, there is a lot here that I think uh, excites me. And I was not excited for that. I was on the fence on this one. Uh, but now I'm on board to see what we're going to get. So, yeah, I like the trailer. I mean, and I get I get that point of view, John. I mean, I feel like mm. you have something as successful as The Boys is. And then with anything that is incredibly successful, there is the risk of diluting that brand. Right. Yes. And the idea that they were going to set something entirely in college um, as an idea, it's like, ah, that's not that big a stretch. But then right. you see the results, at least in these trailers. And like, OK, it looks like they maybe did nail this. Well, yeah. Yeah. the. First semester of Gen V uh, starts enrolling September 29th on Amazon Prime. Our next trailer, which is one that I am very, very excited for, yeah. we get our first look at Paramount Plus's Lawman Bass Reeves. So this is um, this is uh, a, a one more step in Taylor Sheridan's continuous takeover of the Paramount Plus TV service. Uh, he's the executive producer here, along with star David Oyelowo, who is starring as Bass Reeves as well, also from creator Chad Fian. So for those of you that are unaware of who Bass Reeves was, this was a guy um, who was was born into slavery um, back in the 1800s, and he eventually became one of the first U.S. Marshals in the frontier um, and one or one of the first black U.S. Marshals, U.S. Deputy Marshals in the frontier um, who was uh, the most successful. Like he brought in the most amount of outlaws without ever taking a serious injury. Um, some folks say this is not corroborated, but some folks say he was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger, um, just based off of how successful he was at his job. Um, and also, if you watch the uh, HBO, HBO Watchmen, um, you know, there is there's a whole uh, episode that is kind of devoted to him. And that's what inspired our one hero to become Hooded Justice. Uh, but right. I thought this trailer looked fantastic. Uh, I, I have to think that an outlaw would be scared of this. So, Johnny, let's find out. What did you think of Lawman <laughs> Bass Reeves? Listen, um, I haven't fully dived into the Taylor Sheridan universe yet, although I've seen the first two seasons of Yellowstone. I've yet to see 1883 or 1923, which is something I need to remedy as the outlaw, for God's sakes, and as a lover of Westerns. But this, this immediately spoke to me, whereas Lioness is also in the queue. This one is one I'm going to watch from the beginning. I like David Oyelowo as an actor. I think it's such an interesting choice. And look, uh, you know, he's Taylor's gotten a lot of crap for 
his approach to things, how he portrays Native American people, you know, these guys, the diversity stuff on his shows. So leaning into something like this, I think is pretty a pretty smart move, pretty shrewd move by him. But the production value looks damn good here. Yeah, and, and there was an article that came out a few months ago or a couple of months ago from Hollywood Reporter talking about how he's kind of stretched thin. I don't see any stretch thin here. Uh, I liked what we got, and I like the vibe and the feel of it. Dennis Quaid, Donald Sutherland, really nice. And as a Western vibe, I think it really hits it too. So this is like uh, Reggie Hammond from uh, 48 Hours. You know, it's kind of got that vibe to it. There's a black sheriff in town. How are you going to deal with this? Uh, so I hope it's more than just adventures. I hope there's some real world, some topical stuff that's kind of explored uh, uh, in, in a subtle way. Uh, in the show as well but uh, overall as a look and as a feeling as a vibe of a western type of show i think it, this trailer absolutely nailed it so i'm very very excited for this one mikey you're a law-abiding citizen what did you think of lawman <laughs> sure. bass reeds i saw i saw a meme recently that said that Taylor Sheridan's TV shows on Paramount Plus was like the MCU for conservative people. And <laughs> well, and watching and 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 by the way, and based on my parents, that's 100% true. I can't get my parents. I have tried to get my parents to watch the Marvel movies. They're like, "Well, we don't know what order to watch it in." You can go on Disney Plus. There are two different versions of order laid out. They won't do it. They have watched all of Yellowstone, all of 1883, yeah. all of 1923. They will absolutely watch this. They love it. I actually really like I have watched all the shows. I'm a big fan. I think Taylor Sheridan does a great job. But it is very funny that he is just creating this universe of the old West, the new West. It's all back. And he has no signs of stopping. And middle America seems to think it's amazing. So watching this come in, it's going to be interesting because – John hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of people that are huge fans of Yellowstone. I, yeah. I think it's a lot of fun. I think season three got a little, eh, but then I really enjoyed uh, 1883 and 1923. Um, the whole concept of bringing big name stars into TV, into streaming, the way that they do it. It's the same thing that Marvel does. It's the same thing that Star Wars does. It's just in a very specific Taylor Sheridan way. It all seems to work, but the criticism is... It is a little bit more on the conservative side it, when it comes to uh, diversity and diving into some of these other things, maybe yeah. not handled as well as other things in the show are handled. So taking this story, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, I agree with everything John said. I think the trailer looked great. I think David Oyelowo is a great actor. Uh, I was sold on this entire trailer. I think Dennis Quaid looked great. I think Donald Sutherland looked great. It, it looked like all the things that I want to see, but I hope it does dive into things. Mm -hmm. And I hope it does kind of, I hope they don't just do a sort of glossed over version of this story because as Watchmen uh, showed, uh, as you brought up Shannon, like there's, there's a really interesting story here and there's a lot of shades of gray to it. And it's really kind of like, it's, it, it's really awesome that, that Bass Reeves existed and did what he did, but sort of like at our time when it was really hard to do that. And I think yeah. if the story does all that really well, it's really going to expand what Taylor Sheridan does and the Taylor Sheridan universe in hopefully really good, positive ways. And more people will check it out. If it doesn't do it well, everyone who likes the, uh, the, the flyover state MCU universe on Paramount plus is still going to love it, but <laughs> it might not be everything we want. So TBD, but I watched everything else in that universe. I will definitely check this out. 
I mean, this is going to be Taylor Sheridan's fifth series on Paramount Plus. And, you know, Yellowstone doesn't go to Paramount Plus. Yellowstone goes to Peacock. But you've got a season of 1883. You've got a a season of 1923, a season of Tulsa King and a season of Lioness. We know there's a second season of 1923 coming. And now we have Lawman Bass Reeves. So the idea that he how how he isn't stretched uh, thin is is crazy because I've not watched Lioness. Um, yeah. but I really enjoyed Tulsa King. I mean, yeah, it me was, yeah. it yeah. was kind of schlocky, schlocky fun. Schlocky. Um, but it is, it is kind of amazing that he isn't stretched then, especially if you've been reading some of his comments, uh, about the writer's strike, yeah. uh, that he is not a fan of necessarily having a big staff. Uh, but in either case, Lawman Bass Reeves will be coming to Paramount plus on November 5th. And, and, and don't so- forget Shannon McConaughey is supposed to come back. It's supposed to come into the yeah. universe and take over Yellowstone. So he's not even done with Yellowstone, apparently. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Man, speaking of Dutton Dilute- Ranch, that Dutton Ranch, y'all. <laughs> a lot going on on that Dutton Ranch. I mean, Kevin, like, if you read the articles about what's going on right now with how the fifth season hasn't been completed oh, because of all the stuff going on with Kevin Costner, it's like, ah, oh, buddy. <laughs> Just... Just shut up and, and do what this guy says. This is the guy. This is the guy who brought your career. You have back. to do a Western trilogy now, Kevin. Can't you just wait? No, 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 no. Screw you. And I'm getting divorced. Screw you. Craziness. Well, speaking of uh, diluting brands, uh, as of this recording this morning, we got our first trailer for uh, the Apple Plus series, uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Now, when this series was first announced, this is a continuation of Warner's Monsters, Monsterverse mm-hmm. that started with uh, uh, Gareth, uh, ah, yeah. blanking on his last name. Gareth Edwards, yeah. Gareth Edwards, uh, uh, Godzilla back in 2014. Um, the idea that they were going to do a Godzilla-based TV show, it's like, how are you going to do that? I mean, just the scope of those movies, no matter what you think of the quality of the storytelling, the scope in terms of the effects is pretty epic. And based off of this, based off of this teaser, they have some pretty incredible effects. What this story is going to be, I do feel like this is a situation where they had a really great idea and were not able to capitalize on it with the Monarch organization. But the fact that you have Kurt Russell playing an older version of the character and Wyatt Russell, his son, playing the younger version, that's pretty amazing. You know, you have John Goodman crossing over from Skull, Skull, uh, Kong Skull Island. Um, it's really interesting. But, uh, gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. What did you think of our first look at Monarch Legacy of Monsters? Mikey, take it away. I, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> yes. Everything about these Godzilla and Kong movies, I should pretty much just be like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't think the movies are particularly great. They get wild. Like, that Godzilla versus Kong, when Kong ended up in the center of the universe, sat on a throne, and got a giant stone axe that shot lightning, I was like, I don't even know what the fuck is going on anymore. Like, I was, we were off the reservation. Like, I was like, where, what's even happening? So, like, this trailer pops up, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And I watch it, and I see John Goodman in the video, and I see Kurt Russell, and I see Wyatt Russell, and I see the effects, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I want to know more about Monarch. Like, let's go. Let's do this thing. And I, and I, and I don't know why I want to. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it, there's something about 
Godzilla and Kong and these monsters and like the entire like these movies barely hold themselves together, let alone a connected universe. <laughs> like it, there is, it is just all over the place. And yet there's a part of me that just wants them to find their footing. Like there is a part of me that wants this series to come out and go, Hey guys, we know it's been a wild ride, but like, look at this story we've got to tell and tell a great story and let me see epic movie quality monsters on my TV screen. I don't know, man. It's just, there's something about it that makes me go, all right, yeah, like, let's keep going. Even though much like the Transformers franchise, much like the Fast and the Furious franchise, like there's no defense of these movies. Like I can't even sit here and tell you, no, no, no. Let me tell you why I enjoy them. Cause I don't. And I was still excited by this trailer. I don't know what's going on. Johnny. Yeah. Here's the defense. That's the defense right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of which the new Fast and Furious will be debuting on Peacock in a couple of weeks or a few days. Um, so here's what I say. I, I really liked it. I did a real quick reaction to it this morning just because I was like, I want to see what, what my reaction is going to be. I really liked it. I was surprised. I thought it was going to be cheesy. Like, like Michael said, the movies have not been great. I liked the first Godzilla film. There were a, a lot of Kong Skull Island that I liked, and then it just kind of fell apart. Godzilla King of the Monsters, I think I was drunk with you guys watching that at Century City or somewhere. So it was... It was watchable because I was in the condition that I was in. It was nice to see Watanabe coming back and seeing the battle. And King Ghidorah, all of that, it was cool to see, right? Uh, and Charles Dance, whatever he was doing with that head. And then you get um, the last one, Godzilla vs. Kong. And Michael's right. They were like high as shit and just coming up with crazy shit and trying to make it work to appeal to the superhero crowd of people who love those superhero movies like us. And so I think they were trying to just go way on out there. This one feels like they're yanking it back just a little bit more to make it about government corruption or something. Because I mean, there's a lot of those um, uh, files that you see Kiersey Clemens and her crew discover, and they're, it's like redacted stuff. So what does that mean? Judging from the trailer, it sounds like uh, Kurt Russell's character, Lee Shaw, was trying to create a world where he knew the Titans existed and could exist in a certain area, and the humans could exist in a certain area. Kind of like what they clumsily tried to do in Jurassic World. It seems like that's what he was trying to do here, and it's fallen apart. And now he's finally dialed in. But we're going to get them exploring in modern time what happened. And then we're going back to see that with Wyatt Russell and how they're going to handle these things uh, as they try to coexist with him now. So, and they were smart. They didn't make it all just destroy everything monsters. There was only just a few seconds of each of the monsters to give you that vibe that they're going to be a part of this. But I think it's much more about the um, how this whole Monarch thing came about, the corruption of Monarch, how they can stop Monarch. I think it's going to be much more about that. So with a series, I'm hoping that they're getting a chance to spread their wings a little bit more and flesh out more of the concepts from what they started with. And I immediately want a Godzilla evacuation route t-shirt. That logo on the ground was fucking awesome. I like that's genius. So, uh, so yeah, so I like the trailer. I was surprisingly on board with it now. Yeah. You, okay. That is a good, I think that is okay. That is the one thing I will say. Mm. I think maybe that's what got me a little bit is those little details, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. world, a world where you would have a Godzilla evacuation route. I think the movies are so up here, oh, yeah, like yeah. just doing crazy shit. Yeah. Um, cities leveled. 
Godzilla passes out in San Francisco, wakes up, scratches his ass, and stumbles back into the ocean, and that's the end of the movie. Like, it's just, like, wild. But I think that this this trailer had those little details that go, okay, well, if that is the world that we live in, yeah. and everyone knows about these monsters this is what would be real. There would be these evacuation routes. You would have like schools would have monster drills. Like, and so I think like if they lean into that and kind of give me some details of this new, of this universe of this new normal, that's interesting to me. And that dear audience is called world building. And that's why Michael Vogel (laughs) is such a fan of stuff like this. (laughs) So Monarch Legacy of Monsters, the first two episodes drop on Apple on November 17th. Uh, The show was co-developed by Matt Fraction, who wrote that fantastic Hawkeye run that we all talk about. And the first two episodes are helmed by Matt Shackman of WandaVision fame and uh, upcoming Fantastic Four. So November 17th, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. That may be why it looks good. Shatman's a good director, and Fraction's certainly an incredible writer. So that may be what finally saves this thing once and for all. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll jump into a couple more topics uh, right after this. Do, 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 do. I don't remember what the second topic is, so I'll figure <laughs> Just defaulting to Hollywood. Um, <laughs> well, our next topic is actually trailer. What? what? Yeah. What? We're not Stay in your lane, Vogel. Listen, listen. We uh we had a big debate on whether we should talk about this one since we just covered one monster trailer, but yes. I think this is fascinating that not only did we get uh one Godzilla-based trailer this week, uh, we have two. Because Japan, not to be outdone, has a trailer coming out for Godzilla minus one. Um, so this and this is wild to me because we now live in a universe where we have a American westernized Godzilla monster movie franchise, but Japan is still going strong. And this new movie, Godzilla Minus One, written and directed by award-winning uh, Takashi Yamazaki. Yeah. Um, the uh, the description of the film, in post-war Japan, a new terror rises, Godzilla. Will the devastated people be able to survive, let alone fight back? So it seems to be sort of a prequel. It takes place right after World War II, when Japan is at its weakest in the aftermath of... Oppenheimer um and it's kind of getting back to Godzilla's roots and it was fascinating to watch a Japanese Godzilla movie trailer set in that time period kind of getting back to the roots of where Godzilla started but with visual effects that look as good as anything that we're getting in the American Godzilla monster movies and you know, so this one seems like it's it's darker, it's a little bit more serious as serious as you can be with a giant monster stomping through a city but really kind of getting back to what Godzilla was originally, which was sort of a metaphor for uh, nuclear war, nuclear devastation, uh, and everything that came out of Japan post-World War II. So while we have our, as I just said, ridiculous, over-the-top, what-the-fuck-are-you-smoking Godzilla movies stories coming over here, we have what, based on the trailer, seems like maybe a slightly more thoughtful but still destructive cool awesome monster movie coming out um so gentlemen how do you feel like our two godzilla trailers this week stack up against each other and which one are you more excited about yeah please 
I mean, based off of what we have seen and based off of uh, Monarch and what precedes Monarch, uh, comparing that to Godzilla minus one, the fact that the, the minus one comes from the fact that Godzilla, Japan post-war is basically in an economic state of zero. Yeah. And Godzilla is the reason that it goes minus one, goes below zero. Um, it seems like you're we're getting a much more nuanced take on this. And I kind of feel like Godzilla minus one eats Monarch Legacy of Monsters trailers lunch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and in general, you know, a lot of the Godzilla movies, you know, that's typically man in suit. Like that's that's what they have done, even in the more modern era. I mean, they typically put a guy in a suit. Um, this is not that. And it looks pretty as Vogel already said it looks pretty thoughtful and the fact that they are going darker way more serious um it looks like it could be really interesting and knowing that American audiences are slowly slowly leaning more towards commercialized foreign films mm. I think I think the trailer is is very very exciting and I'll be curious if it gets a theatrical release here like generally you know, Parasite, yep. that's not a normal thing that happens. Right. Like we you might get you might get some foreign films in some art house theaters or back when we had the arc light. Um, you would get them in L.A. and New York. Um, but this seems like an opportunity to kind of kind of penetrate that um, that American audience with a movie like this. So I think it, the trailer looks incredible. And I think the, the prospects behind the trailer are very exciting. Yeah, never in my life did I think I would see an art house Godzilla trailer. Like it just was something that never occurred to me, even though I enjoyed obviously those Godzilla films when I was a kid and into being an adult. And even then, of course, love the analysis that they represent nuclear war um, or represent America coming to destroy yeah. the traditions of Japan, um, you know, because it's birthed out of nuclear war, this creature. There's a lot here that you can go back and explore. And there's some great websites and great uh, YouTube channels that do a nice job really watching these movies and breaking that, analyzing a certain point of view. And I, I appreciate that. I was blown away by this trailer. I did a reaction to it earlier this week because a lot of people reached out to me on DM and said, you got to react to this. You got And I was like, I don't know. And then I watched it and I was like, this is incredible. And I love the approach to here. And this is a gutsy approach. This isn't let's destroy stuff so people can enjoy it. This is a, a, a much more morose Godzilla, a depressing Godzilla. Here's what Yamazaki said. He said, uh, I, I wanted Godzilla to look as if, quote, fear itself is walking towards us and where despair is piled on top of despair. Uh, this is the culmination of all of my films. And he's done a previous Godzilla film called Shin Godzilla. And he wants this to be experienced in the best possible environment. So he is aware that he has created a Godzilla film that is very uh, a, a downer, so to speak. And, and I wonder what it's going to explore. Uh, is this the traditions, the traditions of Japan coming to destroy the modernization of Japan? Or is it once again going to evoke Americans coming in to destroy Japanese way of life so they can westernize it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But there's because it's set in post-World War II Japan. So I have a lot of questions about how they're approaching this. And I enjoyed that. But and Shannon, it is coming out in the United States on December 1st on a thousand North American theaters, including IMAX. So wow. you're going to get a chance to see this fully in its glory. And Shannon, you make a great point. 
audiences more and more are watching foreign content. The explosion of Korean uh, content, the explosion of Indian content recently. Yeah. There's always been a Japanese contingent of content. Uh, sorry, content, and that's been around for a long time. So I think evoking this yet again and bringing it back to our shores and letting us experience it this way. I can't wait to see it in IMAX. So uh, yeah, I'm very much on board with this trailer. I, I mean, I think that's the most important. I, I agree with everything you guys both said. I definitely think this was the as as excited as the Monarch trailer made me uh yeah. for reasons that i at this point can still not fathom uh this one legitimately got me excited i watched it and i'm like same reaction that you guys had like wow this feels like heavy and i'm into it mm. um but i think what shannon said and what you just echoed is 100 percent correct is that i got the same and hopefully when i see the movie and i will absolutely go see this on imax um i will have the same feeling i got when i when when my friend texted me last year was like have you watched rrr on netflix and i'm like no what is that and uh went and watched it and was just blown up like what the fuck like <laughs> that we are living in this world you know we talk so much uh particularly with the strike going on and with the studios being the way the studios are and we talk about you know, tech companies buying studios and are we losing the creative spark and what's going to happen to cinema? And we sometimes forget about the fact that even if even if all of the studios here, uh, you know, get overtaken by tech bros and everything goes the way of like the worst possible scenario happens, there are people making awesome cinema around the world. Yeah. Like there's some yeah. great stuff out there. And traditionally, as Shannon said, American audiences by and large don't see a lot of that. And the fact that things are starting to come through a little bit more often, um, thanks to streaming in some some cases, um, I think that that's only gonna be good. And the more that those things break through, the more it's gonna challenge studios here in the States to like up their game. So yeah. it's a win-win for fans because we're gonna get more awesome content and hopefully it like raises everything up. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay, anything more on that mic issue? Can we move on? Nope, let's go. Let's get okay. December 1st. Get ready. Go see it on the big screen. That's right. Uh, and it will debut in uh, at Tokyo International Film Festival in November. So right around the same time as uh, Monarch, the, that series is coming out. So it'll be interesting to hear what the reactions to it are going to be coming out of that festival. Uh, all right, let's move on to this uh, Aquaman story. I, I wanted to bring this up to the guys uh, to talk about because Jeff Nichols um, is doing the rounds here. Uh, he was the um, director behind Mud. And Midnight Special, two films I enjoyed very much. Uh, and he was uh, doing the rounds here, uh, doing press uh, for the current film that he is uh, promoting now. And he was on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast uh, because he is um, he, he directed Bike Riders, which trailer dropped earlier this week. It didn't make Shannon McClung's cut, unfortunately. But hey, that's how it goes. He's a screw. He's a you know. He's a he's a very. Uh, uh, I don't know. He's a judgmental guy. He knows what works for him and what doesn't. And Joe <laughs> Go on. Jody Comer and Austin Butler starring in that one. But anyway, he was on the Happy, Sad, Confused uh, podcast with John Horowitz, Josh Horowitz. And they asked him about, uh, he asked him about the Aquaman story that he was going to do. And this is very interesting because we don't know what is going to happen with Aquaman 2. We don't know what Momoa's scream coming out of Warner Brothers on social media was all about. Uh, But when he was asked about his pitch for it, he said, quote, I still have scenes from Aquaman in my head that would have been good. They would have been quite different from the film that was made. And they asked, he said, it wasn't ever feasible, though, because I liked the older Aquaman. I liked when he had a harpoon for a hand. He was a fallen king and his son had died. 
He was in mourning. And this was, of course, evoking the run that Peter David had in the 1990s, which transformed Aquaman into a grim figure who was burdened by loss, which to me feels like it would have completely fit in the Zack Snyder universe. So a very interesting part. This was around 2014 that it was this was going to happen, but then those Sony emails leaked and that kind of blew everything up. Amy Pascal seems to have escaped unscathed uh, with more money in her pocket from those Spider-Man situations and Spider-Verse situations. But, you know, David, just go, or I'm sorry, uh, just making it work here in how he's, Jeff Nichols and how he's trying to put this together. So Shannon, I'll go to you first. And then Mikey, like you're the Aquaman lover on this panel more than anyone else. So you tell me, what do you think when you hear this, would this not be the right, do you think it's possible to go this route now uh, in the James Gunn verse? If they were to bring Nichols back here to possibly do his version, what are your thoughts on his comments? And if there's a future for this version in James Gunn's universe? I think that would be a tough for Gunn. I think that would be a tough place to start because part of that 90s run, I think it was in Time and Tide, um, part of the 90s run was the fact that Aquaman had been, you know, derided a bit by, by you know, uh, uh, comic book fans. Um, yeah. And so the fact that he loses his hand in a, in a pool full of piranhas and he, you know, he grows his hair out, grows his beard, gets a harpoon hand. There were aspects of that that did carry over. I mean, when you mm-hmm. look at when that first look of Momoa was released as Aquaman, people always talking about, yeah, he looked like Rob Zombie. Uh, to me, it was like, no, that's the, that's the 90s guy. Yeah. And then also with uh, Justice League Unlimited. I mean, that was, they took the inspiration from that run in, and put that in the Justice League Unlimited series because that was when Aquaman got a little more interesting to some people. Mm. Um, it does seem like Jeff Nichols, that pitch was from a different time of the DC Cinematic Universe. Right? I think yeah. that was probably pre-Batman versus Superman being released. Um, when DC was in that place of, you know, Marvel is popcorn, we're going for something a little more darker and serious. And if you have seen Mud, if you have seen Midnight Special, um, you could see where Jeff Nichols' version may have really fit in nicely with that universe. Now, as you saw, you know, audiences for the most part did uh, did not accept that you know super dark super humorless take on their on their properties and warner brothers was constantly scrambling to to you know course correct Mm. um and that's how we got that you know neon cotton candy uh james wan version um it would have been interesting i mean but where when you think back to the uh justice league where we leave momoa that's not a place to naturally take it Hmm. Um, but who knows what Zack Snyder's original, original vision for that was. Cause even like Zack Snyder's justice league, that was still, I don't want to call it a compromise vision, but that was after he had to go back after the, the underperformance from the studio's point of view of Batman v Superman, yeah. that he went in and had to make, had to make some changes. Um, so could Momoa have done it? I think, you know, you, you announce Jason Momoa playing Arthur Curry, on the heels of him playing Drogo from Game of Thrones, like, yeah, that yeah. totally, totally makes sense. Um, will will we get to see that one day? Maybe. You know, I think we have to see Superman Legacy first to find out if this new DC universe is going to have legs. Yeah, Mike, what are your thoughts on Jeff Nichols's comments here about his version of uh, Aquaman? And do you think there's a future for this version of Aquaman down the road? 
Well, I mean, couldn't be worse than the Aquaman we got, right? So... <laughs> oh, there it is. Um, no, look, I, he, I I think it's interesting, and I think that you know it does. It, it's kind of a well, it doesn't matter. Here's a there's a thousand versions of superhero pitches that never made it to the screen, and this is one of them. But I think what's interesting about it mm. is looking towards the 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 Gunniverse uh, that we're about to get and seeing what it is, because I think that I I don't love the Aquaman movie. I enjoy Momoa. I think he was fun, mm. but I think what what was interesting about what they did with Aquaman in the comics back in the day and what he responded to was they made him so specific that if he walked into the room, Peter David even says this in the article when they're quoting Peter David talking about his 90s run, they made Aquaman so specific that when he walked in the room, everybody stopped. Yeah, like his Aquaman just what he wasn't. He wasn't just another guy. Oh, hey guys, it's me. I'm another hero, but I talk to fish. Like this dude walked in, and you're like, this dude's seen some shit. <laughs> and I think what's interesting about that is when you're building out these. It's what we were saying about the boys recently, or a few minutes ago about yeah. the, the the trailer. It's like when you're building out these superhero universes, and you have all these characters. You're like, well, what does this character bring to the table? Why is this character interesting? And Aquaman in the animated series in the comics what always made aquaman interesting to me is this is the dude that basically rules 80 percent of the earth mm -hmm. and he shows up and you got <coughs> batman telling everybody what to do and you got superman saying well i think the right thing to do is this and he's like who the fuck are you guys I rule 80% of the earth and I got a fucking hook hand. Like, shut the fuck up. And just like this attitude that he has. And so, you know, Momoa was a lot of fun, had some really fun lines. He was cool. Like, like the very different hero's journey for him. But when you're looking at all the characters that, you know, Zach put together and then Joss did and then Zach did again and whatever, it's like, they're fun. Yeah. But what makes them all so unique that they, when they come together, it's like, whoa. And especially with everything we've talked about with Superman legacy, kind of being a ready-made superhero universe. We know we got Metamorpho. We know we got lanterns. We know we got Hawkgirl. We know we have all these characters already in Superman legacy. Yeah, the I think, you know, the opportunity to have an older Aquaman, uh, an actual King, somebody showing up and being like, and maybe he doesn't even get his own movie. Maybe he just shows up in other people's movie the way that Namor, uh, Namor showed up in Wakanda Forever. But you're like, this is a guy who, like, you don't want to fuck with. Like, that could be really interesting. So I think what's interesting about this take back in the day is, was it right for the time for what DC was doing? Was it right for what Snyder was doing? No. Would that, would that have been a tough move to take Momoa post-Justice League into his movie? Shannon's right. Like, that would have been a really hard turn hmm. and you would have been like what but now as we're getting into this new universe the opportunity to use aquaman in a lot of the ways that they talked about in this article i think is really interesting yeah 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 and i'll be curious to see if down the road they open the door to this again and look if they can have joker and batman be two completely separate things that don't necessarily tie to the james gunniverse i think this is the route that if dc and Warner Brothers wanted to keep walking, you could explore things like Peter David's run and have fun with it. You could even turn it into a series if you wanted to throw that up on Max and see what that would be like to see people's reactions to it. So I don't know, just thoughts. And, and I really appreciated what he was, how he was approaching it. And I think because he hasn't made a bad movie, I mean, I haven't seen Bike Riders yet. It's getting some good buzz. 
um, I would very much trust him to do the right thing in bringing this to life. So I'd be curious to see it. But anyway, just thought it'd be fun to talk about for us geeks here on the Geek Buddies. But let's take a quick break and let's jump into our main topic. And our main topic, Bob Chapek versus Bob Iger for control of the Disney universe right after this. Real quick, this just broke. I want to get you guys' thoughts real quick. According to a report, I just got this text, and I don't know if you guys are on this text chain as well. This is from RadioTimes.com. According to them, Inkute Gatwa has apparently convinced Ryan Reynolds to be in a Doctor Who episode. This is right now, this is according to The Sun as well, that he has been cast in a, quote, massive coup for the show. I'm not confirming this. I'm just saying we're seeing reports here. Uh, and, of course, they were just in Barbie together, and Kute and uh, Ryan Reynolds. So this, what would you guys think if you saw, oh, sorry, Ryan Gosling, not Ryan Reynolds. It's too many Ryans. What oh. would you guys think if you saw Ryan Gosling in the new Doctor Who season coming up? Gentlemen, real quick. Thoughts? I mean, I, I was more excited excited for Ryan Reynolds because I'm like, oh, he, he owns part of Wrexham. Now he's fully leaning into his Anglophileness. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, uh, uh, Ryan Gosling's, he's, he's a great actor and he's very, very funny. And if those two, if our new Doctor Who was able to convince him to be a part of a, an episode, I think. I think that's a I think that's uh that's a major coup for that show and probably a blast for the fan for the Doctor Who fans out there. But again, yeah. I'm not a Doctor Who guy. I, I know we've picked the master, but Ryan Gosling as the master would be genius. But anyway, so go ahead, Mike. What are your thoughts? I don't know about a, I don't know a lot about Doctor Who, but I like both of them, and I would have paid good money to see that. Con- I'm just picturing them like on the set of Barbie, like <laughs> on a break, both dressed like Ken, and him being like, "Listen." I'm the new Doctor Who, and here's what I think needs to happen. And them just sort of like, yeah, I'm in. Like, let's talk about it. Let's make it. Like, right. I just think that would have been. I want. I want the YouTube video of that conversation. <laughs> just two Kens Kenning around, having a good old Ken kind of time. I like, want you to guest star as Professor What. <laughs> like, it, I'm in. Like, I'm in on it. And honestly, you know, Ryan Gosling as hot and sexy and absy as he is. Uh, really reminded everybody this summer that he's fucking funny too, and he can kind of do whatever he wants. Like he's he's su- like I do think he gets a little. I mean, he's great. Like you know, you yeah. see people love Drive, people love uh, Crazy Stupid Love. There's people who love La La Land. Like like you know, he's definitely not an actor who is um not respected. Mm-hmm. But I think that just this summer he really was like. Oh, he's fucking hilarious. Yeah. So whatever role he wants to play at this point, like I'm like, go, go for it. You're Kenuff. Do it. <laughs> oh my god. You could see him just smirking on the set. Blue phone, blue phone booth. Phone booth. Mm-hmm. Bigger on the inside. Bigger on the inside. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, hey, so yeah, I, I'm curious to see what it'll be if it if it's actually happening. If it does happen, that's a great coup for that season. And look, it is going to debut on Max. So. Maybe that's another part of this. You're getting maximum exposure I, for the new season by so having as a as a who guy, as a Doctor yeah. Who guy. I have a question yeah. for you. Yeah. If <clears throat> and maybe this is what we'll do. Maybe we'll talk about Geek Buddies. If I just jumped on at this Doctor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I said this is my jumping on point, like I'm going to start with him, and I'm going to keep going, and then yeah. over time I'll go back and watch older stuff as it pops up. Like sure. it's it's not. 
it's not like starting at a you know season four of rebels like right, i can like right. start here with this doctor and just start going yeah yeah, I think so, because they want to make it appealing to Americans and a larger share of the American audience. So I think that's why they're going the max route, and they're going to make it very consumable for American audiences to watch it and see the tenets of it all and then being inspired to go back and look at other episodes and whatever. Right. I started with Capaldi. I did not start with Tenet or Matt Smith. I started with Capaldi and then went back and watched Smith and Tenet stuff. They do a great job when they switch over Doctors of getting you into the doctor mythology uh, because it always changes with every doctor. So it adds more right. layers and elements. So yeah, I would say so. You heard it here. I'm jumping on. I'm jumping on the, the yeah. who train. Well, that's not, and that's not the only announcement you have on this show, Michael. What, what do we got going on here in the geek buddies universe? Oh, we have a, but before we jump into uh, Iger and Chapek. So, We've heard from some of you buddies this week, uh, specifically yes. about Ahsoka with episode four. Uh, lots of questions about the world between worlds. And we realized that even though we've mentioned the world between worlds and we kind of talked about it briefly in our Ahsoka review, we didn't really dive in and explain it. And we talked about doing it uh, on this week's show, but then we realized we have an opportunity for a new segment. You guys are great. You guys listen to us talk all the time. We got our hour long shows, we got our spoiler reviews, we got our live shows, but sometimes you just want a little bite. And so we are going to start uh, a new thing here on Geek Buddies on the Outlaw Nation channel called Geek Bites. And we're going to launch it this weekend uh, with a little Geek Bite that kind of dives in on the world between worlds and what it means post-episode four of Ahsoka. Um, but the most exciting part of it is that our boy the Outlaw here made the gayest-ass circuit party geeky intro Four Geek Bites that we're going to premiere right now, and then you can see it again when Geek Bites comes up this weekend. Johnny, show him the Geek Bites intro. Oh, I want to go put on a harness and just like pop a molly and start dancing. Let's go. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> that is, you know, that I just wanted to cut. It's still a work in progress, and it's just a little. Don't wanted you to separate it out from the Geek Buddies a little bit, even though it's going to be presented by the Geek Buddies. But yeah, it will be something. You know, and I've been I've been hammering these guys about doing more content, and Michael thought this was a great way to do it because you guys ask us questions every week, and certainly the War Between Worlds. So it's really smart. And remember, when we did Roka's Rapid Fire last week, I told the guys, you come up with a segment and I'll gladly make a video for it. And there it is. So there it is. Uh, so, uh, Bites. It's available now. Get ready. Get yeah. ready to have a dance party this weekend. Tune into Geek Bites and get the full download on Ahsoka's World Between Worlds and what it means for Ahsoka going forward. So stay yeah. tuned for that. Check it out this weekend. Uh, we're really excited about it. Absolutely. And if there's things down the road that you guys want us to talk about, make sure you reach out to us, DM us or tweet at us and, or exit us, whatever it's called. Uh, let, let us know what you want. To, and Mike and Shannon and I will decide what we're going to talk about on a Geek Bite. So it'll, I don't know if it'll be weekly, but it'll certainly be something we focus on. And if it becomes weekly, it'll be a lot of fun to do that as well. We will drop the first episode, as Michael said, tomorrow. If you're watching this on Friday, we're dropping it on Saturday just to announce it there on the channel. So, all right, let's get into Sorry. Let's get into uh, the uh, story here uh, the, from CNBC, breaking down the transition period from Bob Iger to Bob Chapek. This came out this week. It is a 45-minute article to read, so we're going to 
We're going to hit you with the big highlights of the article and talk about it here. And I'm going to hit some of them right now. Uh, and here are the details. Uh, in, apparently in 2021, 2020, in 2020, after Iger announced that he was going to step down from the CEO position, he told Bob Chapek that it was going to take 22 months to transition into him being in control of Disney. And during that time, Iger was going to keep his big office and Chapek was going to have the smaller office. And the reason is because Bob Iger likes to take showers in that office. And sometimes he'll take a second shower before he goes out and does the red carpet stuff. Chapek apparently was fine with this. And during the announcement of his departure in front of the stock investors and the board, he called himself Big Bob and he called Bob Chapek Little Bob, which is a really interesting situation. In March of 2020, during a flight to Disney's annual meeting in Raleigh, Iger allegedly caught Chapek off guard by telling the new CEO, who at the time had only attended the meeting once, that he would be the one in charge of the Q&A. He did not tell him ahead of time or a few days to prepare. He told him on the plane, and apparently Iger was pissed that Chapek took all the information went into the back of the plane and started studying all this so that he could answer these questions knowledgeably. Iger thought he would just pick his brain to do that. And then there was a big battle on the plane ride back about the COVID-19 epidemic and how they were going to handle it. Chapek held his first CFO-CEO meeting with Christine M. McCarthy, and Iger apparently snapped at them, thought it was disrespectful they were doing it without him or right in front of his face, but without including him in the conversation. They fought about furloughing employees at Disney, which I was on Iger's side on this one because uh, Iger wanted to wait until the government benefits kicked in. Chapek did not. He wanted to cut it immediately. And that as their um, relationship deteriorated, Chapek's controversial reorganization of Disney's distribution strategy, he grew paranoid about working with people who were close to Iger including the communications director, Xenia Mucha, or communications at Xenia Mucha, who he felt was um, Iger's second in command and, and was only loyal to Iger and was undercutting him. Then we have more details about the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit. Apparently, they both approved the statement that came out that it was essentially trying to paint Scarlett Johansson as greedy, but neither one of them wanted to take the lead in the negotiations of the situation because they felt the other one should have been the, the lead on it, so there was a lot of drama there. Apparently, Iger was threw himself every time he threw himself a retirement party at his home in November 2021, and only reluctantly invited Chapek. Chapek was supposed to speak in Orlando. He tried to beg off, but then changed his plans. Showed up, and apparently, Iger and Chapek were on opposite sides of the room. And Ch uh, Iger did not mention Chapek at all in his retirement speech, which was insane. And Christine McCarthy, who had mentioned earlier. In fall of 2022, when Chapek was getting ready to deliver his uh, earnings, the quarterly earnings report for Disney completely blindsided Chapek and gave a very dour and depressing um, analysis of Disney's financial situation, which Chapek felt could have been a little bit more uh, honest, a little more fair, and he felt blindsided by it because they had talked about a strategy ahead of time and she went uh, basically into business for herself, which Chapek took as a broadside and an insult uh, and possibly to help Iger. So there's a lot of stuff in here that goes. And look, before you cry for Bob Chapek, he got an exit, exit package north of $20 million. But there's much more in this article. I just wanted to hit some of the highlights here. But gentlemen, clearly this feels like, like people describe Hollywood high school with money. This is essentially yet another version of this. Two egos here, 
two people who one wanting to lead, another not wanting to let go, one wanting the person he hired to bend the knee to him until he decided himself to leave. There's a lot of drama here. And this is the highest levels of fucking Hollywood. Does any of this surprise you or does any of what is any of what does all of this make you feel? Uh, Mike, you've been in these boardrooms. What are your thoughts on all that? Oh, what I think is, oh, the caucasity of rich white people, rich white peopling. It is the caucasity of it all. No, it you're you're right. Like I've said this my whole life. Like I think that like and I, I if you enjoyed high school, as I did, this isn't the worst thing, but life never really does move beyond high school like everywhere you go you're going to have these social dynamics and the popular kids and the unpopular kids and everything else what i find super interesting in the article is uh this quote that um uh when when Iger said this in his book his autobiography the ride of a lifetime when the two people at the top of a company have a dysfunctional relationship, there is no way that the rest of the company beneath them can be functional. And he wasn't talking about Iger and Shapek. He was talking about Michael Eisner and Michael Ovitz in the yeah. 90s, uh, two people that got along for years until they became the top two people at Disney and within 16 months, like, completely exploded and Ovitz was fired. So this is, like, the ultimate example of the George Lucas, like, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Like, <laughs> like, like... In his book, he talks about this thing and then lived and did the exact same thing with Chapek, which I find fascinating. Um, look, at the end of the day, I there's like John's right. You know, you have this one person who let go but didn't really want to let go. And then you have another person who was ready to take the reins, but by many accounts, wasn't prepared for the entertainment side of things and the relationships and the things he had to deal with. And I think that at a certain point, what you really had, uh, and neither one of them would ever say it this way probably, but you had someone who was ready to let go and then almost instantly realized that the person who was taking over wasn't equipped to do it and didn't handle taking the reins back gracefully in any way, shape, or form. And you had somebody else who stepped into a role that as much as they were excited to take it and ready to get that money and wanted it, uh, deep down didn't believe that they could do it. And anxieties and egos and fears all ballooned up, and the worst of both of these people came out. Yeah, Shannon, what are your thoughts when you read this uh, these uh, situations between the two, these two guys? I mean, fascinating article. There is a book called Disney War by James B. Stewart that chronicles Eisner's kind of ascendance and his fall. And Bob Iger plays a pretty big part in that. And if anyone, again, if you have an Audible subscription, if you feel like doing like an Audible free trial, this book is fascinating. And because I had listened to that book, a lot of the stuff in the article made sense because it definitely gave you some context. But even when Chapik was announced as the as Iger's replacement, folks that I knew that worked for Disney were kind of like, Ugh, because Chapik was kind of known as the Grim Reaper. I mean, he would come in and cut costs, which is wh- one of the things, according to the article, that Iger liked. He's like, look, yeah. he brings stuff in under budget, but he didn't. And, and Iger admits this in the article. He maybe didn't properly vet him. Um, that the the traditional way that someone would take over the CEO position, meeting individually with the board members, that's something that got skipped. 
in in this round and they kind of live to live to regret it a little bit i mean especially looking at the scarlett johansson thing how even though chapik was the ceo Iger was still his boss at right. least for the next almost two years and Iger would basically retain creative control and that the whole thing with scarlett johansson came down to semantics that in Iger's point of view is like this is a business decision. This is contractual. This is your, you know, this is your, this is your ball. This is your ball. Mm. And Chapik's like, well, she's a creative. This is your ball. I think Iger ultimately was right. <laughs> um, but but it's also like not that Bob Iger comes out smelling great here. That you have someone who had delayed their retirement four times yeah. because of things that they were, you know, uh, undertakings that, that were kind of, you know, mid process. Um, and ultimately Chapik probably wasn't, wasn't the guy or di- was not prepped enough for the job that he was coming into. And there was one other thing. Oh, they, they, they bring up Fox. Yeah. Uh, when Disney yeah. bought Fox, I mean, and again, Chapik gets a lot, gets dinged a lot for a lot of the Disney decisions that were made. One of the things they get dinged on is that they may be overpaid for Fox yeah. and Chapek didn't have anything to do with that. Like that yeah. was, that was a lot of Bob Iger. So a lot of Bob Iger's mistakes are getting thrown on to Chapek. Yeah. Uh, real quick to me, I look at it as remove all the drama. These are two completely different people. I look at Iger as an extrovert and Chapik as an introvert. And I think that scene on the plane, as it's described in the article, really nails that. For Iger, it's no big deal to walk in cold and answer questions because he's got the knowledge. It's not a big deal. Chapek is a guy who has to take the book in, study it and study it and study it, consume it so that he is not caught off guard because he has issues with it, right? And so I think that's the difference. Iger wanted someone to come in who was going to be just like him, like a mini me and from the Austin power situation. And Chapek wasn't that guy, which really does speak to the loss or the failure in vetting here. Cause mm-hmm. yes, Shannon, you're right. He made, he cut costs. He also like quadrupled, but quadrupled profit in the certain sections that he was in sometimes in a very ruthless way, but he did it. So Iger thought, well, this will be the nice transition and I can control him. And I think that was the thing at the end of the day, Iger thought he could control him keep him in his place, have him be loyal to him and pay fealty to him. But in the end, Chapek was like, no, I'm my own person, son. Get the hell out of the way. Let me do my own thing. And Iger passive aggressively just kept undercutting him. And, you know, there's also the don't say gay stuff that's in the article that, that Bill and all the drama around that. Iger tweeting out something that essentially undercut Chapek's uh, knees out from under him and forced him and the company to respond to this might have been the impetus for all the drama that went around it. So just a lot of moving parts in all of this that just really comes down to two guys with massive egos trying to figure this whole thing out. Mikey, what were you saying? I mean, I think, look, I think Iger does have a massive ego. And I think that, but I, and I think some of it's not warranted. Some of it is. I think right, when you've yeah, like worked hard it. to make yeah, the yeah. company what you've made it. And then this guy comes in and is doing shit. And you're like, this motherfucker. <laughs> like sometimes you're like, I'm going to tweet. I'm going to fucking tweet. Uh, I, you know, I think where they miscalculated is more. And, you know, some of you guys are probably listening to this. Like, why the fuck are we talking about CEOs? I want to talk about like multiverses and lightsabers. Yeah, but and, like, the world between worlds. But this is what's them. interesting about Disney is that from the inception of Disney, more so than any other company, uh, with maybe the exception of like Apple or something, the CEO, like 
has always like it's you know like first of all like disney back in the day og like this is the guy who was not just sitting in a boardroom like he was on tv every week he yeah. was telling people about the building of epcot he was like hey guys let's here's let's talk about what's coming up next and down the line eisner when i was growing up wonderful world of disney on sunday like eisner introduced that like the ceo of disney has always been this very frontward facing entertainment person and Iger really picked up those reins like Bob Iger more than anybody else like he and the article is very clear on this he was very comfortable in Hollywood he was yeah. very comfortable around celebrities and talking to agents and producers and directors like he he was that guy he's the guy who convinced uh you know Pixar to come into the Disney fold yeah. he convinced Lucas to yeah. sell them Star Wars he convinced Marvel to come in like he did all of these things and to John's point, being like a more extroverted social kind of CEO, like that's part of the DNA of Disney. And so Chapek coming in, there's probably other companies where he would have been just fine. But being that in that legacy of that frontward facing CEO who blurs the line between business and entertainment, he was doomed to fail from the start. Mm, yeah. Like it was just never, it was never, ever going to happen. And uh and so it is, it is interesting. And like, and now Iger coming back in, you're like, you know, who is going to take over after him? And can he let go? Like, that's going to be what's interesting. Yeah. Especially when all the reports, the drum beats are getting louder and louder. And there've been new reports this week that Iger is essentially going to sell off pieces of Disney, uh, legacy pieces of Disney on, and, and essentially make it a lean machine and then sell it to Apple. That that is his final act, uh, for Disney is that he's going to make it a sellable product and give it to Apple and that Apple will take it over and he'll go right off into the sunset with his mouse ears on. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think I don't know. This is very interesting to see if he's going to do that or not. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. You know, no, well, I mean, I've read, I mean, I've read all those rumors and a lot yeah. of people in the industry are saying it's more than rumors and like, yeah. really like take yeah. a look at this. And so it, it's not just like random talk. Right. I just, I don't know what the upside is to that. I mean, I know that we're in a crazy time and the studios are looking at their futures and they're looking at the way people consume movies and they're looking at streaming, maybe not being like the golden goose that everybody thought it was. And there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of questions, but Disney as a legacy brand just seems like one of the things that's going to be able to, between the theme parks and the consumer products and just like the, you know, the, just the, ridiculous amount of ip that they have like it just seems like what's the upside to 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 streaming streamlining everything selling off pieces hmm. and then selling what's left to apple it, what why i don't know and maybe like let me know yeah. in the comments like people who are smarter than me like absolutely yeah. like weigh in on that but i just that's one like even with things like warner brothers and other studios where you're like okay they also have legacies they also have a long history of movies you see where they're really struggling um, but Disney between having star Wars, having Marvel, having the Disney library, even though those things sometimes don't deliver the way that they hope they do. Um, I don't know. It just seems like a crazy move to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, uh, Shannon, what do you think? I mean, it was kind of like when Disney bought Fox, like as fans were like, Oh my gosh, all of these characters are under one umbrella. Finally, they can do Marvel. They can do the Marvel cinematic universe that we've, that we've dreamed about since we were kids. Yeah. On the other hand, the fact that one of, one of the great old studios is no longer a thing. I mean, now it is, you know, now it's, it's, it's part of a larger company. It's kind of, you know, 
stuff changes over time. I mean, but it just, it's, it was kind of sad. Like, oh, okay. So now that means all these studios are potentially up for grabs. I mean, granted, yeah. most studios are owned by larger corporations. And, you know, Columbia and TriStar, they're owned by Sony. NBC or uh, uh, Universal is owned by Comcast, mm. which is a giant cable company that also owns NBC. Um, the idea that Disney would be under someone else's umbrella, that to me, I mean, again, and I know these are all giant yeah. evil corporations, <laughs> but having grown up with Disney in my backyard in Florida, it's like, oh, that's it. It just sort of taints, taints the brand a little bit. Yeah. For me, but and again, n- none of these corporations, these aren't these aren't people like <laughs> these right. are these are giant soulless, <laughs> soulless monoliths. But there is just sort of the kid in me is kind of like, oh, that's yeah. kind of sad. Right. People used to say well, when they bought Star Wars, oh, my God, they're going to Disney fi Star Wars, Disney fi uh, when they bought Fox, Disney fi X-Men or Deadpool. Now it's like, well, if. Disney does sell to Apple. Is Apple going to Appleify Disney? Is that what's going? I mean, like, imagine the changes in the parks. Is it going to be much more of the stark white and black and gray colors throughout the park? Is it going to be much more about it's one that? giant Apple store? Yeah, it's one, one giant Apple store. <laughs> so it's just like it's very interesting if that's the path. But look, we have been shocked over the last few decades of stuff that has changed yeah. over in ownership. And look, who thought Fox? 20th century fox the legacy of fox would be sold to disney so there's just a lot of shocking stuff that goes down in the world and i can't imagine that it isn't the investors who are at wall street who are pushing this to happen you ask who could do this it's them and it may be at the end of the day that Iger is outvoted and has to do the job as a ceo to make this company sellable so that they can eventually sell it to apple and all the investors can make even more money off of it because at the end of the day this isn't this isn't oh we made a nice little animated film for you this is can we make the money that it's business people don't want to accept that but it's true Uh, all right yeah yeah all right anything more to say on this uh, gentleman anything more to dive in are we good like i said rich white people (laughs) rich white people drama it's a whole lot of a lot yeah, maybe that's a new segment. The caucasity this week on the, the caucasity. Disney's, there's plenty. There's plenty to go around. Disney's historic relationship with apples, dating back to Snow White, doesn't seem like the best. <laughs> <laughs> don't bite that apple. Don't bite that apple. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget, Iger was a was a big fan of Steve Jobs, so there may be mm-hmm. uh, legacy residue there as well. Uh, all right, well, there you go. That's our uh, Geek Buddies uh, for this uh, lovely Friday. Thank you so, to everybody for uh, watching this episode or for listening to it on the podcast feed. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, I'd like to follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media. On Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Mikey? Uh, well, we had a good time talking with you guys this week, and we hope you guys had a good time listening. And here's what you can do to help all of us continue to do all of that. Uh, hit that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he has got there. Leave your comments below. Uh, let us know what you thought of everything this week. What do we get right? What do we get wrong? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Let us know below. If you're listening to us on a podcast right now, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video 
video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies, and tune into our new segment, Geek Bites, this weekend. There you go. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.